Freebird. So we just thought you'd like some live music as we get ready to start off on this farm update. It is uh, October 12th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it'll be in, uh, ooh, this is a good episode coming up this week for Shizzle, Manizzle. For Shizzle, Sizzle, Mizzle? I don't know. Starting off, we just want to say thank you to Brandon for not slurping his water while he's doing the farm updates. <laughs> You're welcome. He was called out again this morning by a very angered MJ. I feel so ashamed. You should. I do. I mean, it was, MJ just brought the thunder today. So embarrassing. Are you, I don't feel like you're really that embarrassed. No, I'm not. No, because I think he did it again today at lunch. Probably. Probably so. It, can you, like, therapy for that? Good question. Do I need therapy for slurping? I, I didn't know. hear you slurp. Yeah, so. see? They're lying, Ross. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're lying or not. Wait, I'm one of they. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they shooting us? Because we're in the spirit world, yay hole. They can't see us. <laughs> All right, so what's happening on the farm, Gib? Oh, we uh picking peppers again. Picking cotton. I think they're they're clipping right along with the cotton. Gonna get caught up to the sprayer pretty soon. Still baling hay, cutting hay, raking hay, making hay, wheat, making hay, making hay while the sun shines. Yeah. Um, so we completed planting on the 506 project. Mm-hmm. This morning. I mean that was the most irregular seed bed I think I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Good thing it's winter wheat. Yeah. I think it was perfect. Yeah, anywhere from on top of the ground to six inches deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, I mean, the, the soil texture, I would correlate the soil texture to flour. So I wonder if the wheat felt like it was at home because the soil was so soft that it... That's a really good you think it's it'd be scary. like laying in bodies of its own kind, though. That's yeah, kind of weird. Thing, that? That's really weird. Well, I've been listening to a lot of Pink Floyd lately. <laughs> this, this conversation got really weird. Sorry, yeah. guys. Yeah, somebody get him a Slurpee cup. Uh, Maj, you you sent out your Monday report, and there's some pretty high notes on that thing. Yeah, it's it's looking pretty good. We've uh, we've covered a lot of ground in the last two months. You chopped more hay and packed more hay in one month this year than you did in three. Yeah. After we got the machines finally running. Once, once we got everything finally tuned in and everything and started understanding them, we really, really started grooving. Chateau, what's up with the agua frescas? The agua, well, that's uh, Spanish for water in case y'all didn't know. Yes, See. we are still irrigating uh, flood, alfalfa mostly, uh, pivots. The new winter wheat. Uh, <laughs> that's what I do. Pruning. Pruning. <laughs> a little bit of uh, cleanup, a little bit of uh, motor replacement, and uh, tires. Lots and lots of jantas. That's mm-hmm. also Spanish. And starting now, the Spanish word of the day is agua on mi llantas, which water means on my tires. You have water on your tires. <laughs> That concludes today's Spanish word of the day. <laughs> I can't even hold it together. Uh, so it's dry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. I put new Yokohama Mamas on my Raptor, and I had to put it in four-wheel low and put it in the mud sand mode yesterday on the 506 project. 
because I buried the truck to the frame in just flour. I mean, it is so dry. I was talking to a, a local rancher that dates back four generations now. His family's had their same ranch, and this is the driest conditions they've ever ranched in. Chato, what are your thoughts on winter precipitation? That's English for precipitation. My thoughts are my hopes. My my thoughts are we're going to get slammed and we're going to have lots of runoff and it's not going to be good. My hopes are we get uh, about three inches every month in small increments. So you think we're going to get pummeled? I think so. Even though that they're calling for a La Nina, La Nina in the desert southwest is usually a dry pattern. MJ shaking his head. What's your predictions over there? No, I think we're going to be a little bit drier than than last year, but hopefully a little bit wetter than the the first winter out here. Yeah, the first year, the first winter out here, uh, last rain was the 27th of October. First rain was the 5th or 6th of July. That was a rough go. If if we have that same kind of go again. Whew. Brandon? El Nino means the Nino. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been here for a winter. You're not wrong. That's no. <laughs> Welcome to El Matador, which is Spanish for the Matador. <laughs> if uh, we, we had uh, Mondays, we have our team meetings and and Brandon and Jack are starting to change things on the hay side. And uh, so you're going to start raking the day after we cut. That is correct. And and break down the reason why you would do something like that. Um, so we've done some trials with uh, different styles of rakes, different timings of raking. And we have concluded that raking with a different style of rake at a different time is actually going to increase our tonnage per acre um, without giving out real specifics. Um, we figured per bale. That kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? Pinging in and out. Yeah, it was me. I was touching buttons. Oh, my bad. Um, anyways, kind of the bottom net profit will be significant. And it's it's not just a whim. It's actually something we've been testing this summer. Okay, so so you were saying that by doing this with the dry conditions that we're in, we're going to retain 50 pounds of bale more. Um, that was the estimation. Right now, on the trials that we've done, we've been up to 200 pounds per bale. Assumptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so assumptions, you know what that makes, right? Yes. But we've done some trials with it, and it's been up to 200 pounds increase per bale. If you increased 200 pounds per bale across the farm for the year, so say it's 100 pounds per bale, you're talking about a net net back of over, well over a quarter million dollars. Uh, yeah, 100 pounds would be about a quarter million. Minimum. So with that being considered, what is the risk? Uh, the risk really isn't that great because this style of rake, the way it rakes it, it still dries evenly. Like it's in a regular windrow. It's a Euro- European influenced rake, right? Yeah, it's a tether rake. Um, the nice thing is it doesn't rope it together and you're raking it when it's wet. So you're retaining leaf a lot better. And uh, with the regular rakes, you're usually rolling it over. And then it turns into a rope. And if it gets rained on, it takes forever to dry. Where these tether rakes, it dries evenly. So the biggest risk we have is the same risk we have now. It gets rained on. Are you looking at adding anything into, as we're looking at next year, are the three of you looking at adding anything different besides the rakes? Shots, anything you're going to try to change on the irrigation side? 
we're just going to focus on, you know, using our water correctly, a um, little more management of that, and trying to cut cost in our basically running motors and pivots. So, so with that being said, how are you planning on measuring the water use besides just gallons? With a bucket. Well, we're also going to implement those uh, moisture probes. Right. And I think that'll be the biggest change on the water side is with the moisture probes being introduced, we're going to be able to track if we're overwatering or underwatering. MJ, anything you're focusing on to change efficiencies in the field for next year right now? You're going to try anything before the season's over? No, we tried stuff last week and that kind of bit me pretty hard. So yeah, let's talk about that. Well, <laughs> we're still trying to get through that. I know thing. there's still hay in the field. From it that. was really hot the day before, relatively speaking for this time of year. 96. And, yeah. Yeah. And we had 89 or 86, 86, 89 acres to make it across with one chopper. So I thought if we raked field backwards, what we cut last rake first, that, uh, it would buy us more time, and it did. It bought us like an extra day because it wouldn't dry at all. Now let's say it's almost six days. So <laughs> nothing new for me for now. I'm just going to finish out. I, I was so excited to touch that button. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Brandon, you've already said your piece. Anybody have anything intelligent that they want to add to the conversation before we get into our next guest? We should have done this earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. Why? You had to pee? No. Oh, all my intelligence is gone for the day. So as we get ready to talk about the next guest, what was your biggest takeaway, all three of you, from meeting Margie? Oh, man, that's, you know, I didn't spend as much time as you did with her. Just a little bit of time. But the power and perseverance of what she went through, I just, I couldn't imagine going through that. And what she had to do to heal, to me, is unthinkable. Like, I just, I don't know how I deal with that much. Well, like Brandon, I didn't get to spend a ton of time with her, but, uh, you know, to hear her story and then just see what type of person she still is. She's still such a positive, outgoing individual. And she's just, you know, she was fun to be around the entire weekend and just generally a positive person. Chato. I took away, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I guess her humility. She was super humble for having, you know, and it's, I hate to say attention, it's negative attention in some aspects, but she was just so happy to be here, to be with us, gracious for the opportunity, and I think she's got a good message for a lot of people. Yeah, so if you're ready to, to have your mind rocked, stay tuned, because like it or not, ready or not, here comes Margie Groob accompanied by the one and only Robbie from Blood Origins. Be blessed. I feel like this is the only way we can start this podcast. Epic music. We've gone all the way through... The Native American culture in the desert southwest. We've harvested a pronghorn. And now we're here to share the epic story. Absolutely. Pew, pew, pew. Was that your pistol guns? That was that was Margie's pistol guns. That was good. Make sure you get up in that mic, Mason. Shooter. Pew, pew, pew. Shooter McGavin. I think uh, 
I think right off the bat, the easiest thing that we can say is that it has been one of the most unbelievable experiences that any human being should be able to experience in the last couple of days. And this podcast is uh, as random as we all are in this podcast and the people that get to join us and what we get to do. Um, today is kind of the recap of something that was extraordinary. And, and the way that something like this came together was in of a in and of itself something that is amazing. Uh, joining us today in the Out Here in the Middle podcast uh, is three extraordinary humans. And all the time on Instagram when I'm posting about being a better human, uh, these are better humans. These are top-notch, class-acts, uh, real people. For the third time in his professional career, my co-host today, Mason Clements. Thank you, Jay. Oh my gosh, Mason. I thought you were just going to just charge into this thing and be like, so, so we are, uh, it is uh, Friday morning when we, when we did the uh, Mason's inaugural trip around town and I dropped off my old Dodge for Mason to drive around and we get in the truck and uh, we're driving to the office in the old super puncher. Square nose. Square nose. First gen, the goat. And uh, we're headed down the road and Mason just lets out us. Can you do it for us again? Yeehaw! Yeah, right there. I mean, that was <laughs> just screams it out of the window. And we just passed three ranchers that are sitting on the side of the road talking to each other. And they all just looked at us like, who in the hell is here right now? <laughs> Mason Clemens, didn't you know? Howdy. So, so Mason's back at the farm, which we're happy to have you. Always happy to be here. I was trying to think last night, I was trying to think of the best way that we can go ahead and get ourselves started in, in, in this journey. And uh, before I introduce our other two guests, uh, we were sitting in a hotel lobby, um, Johnny and Mason and myself. And I was thinking about these pronghorn tags that Danny and I have at... Uh, the farm and what we were going to do with those. And I see pronghorn every single day and I see multiple herds every single day. And I, I get to a point where I, I know who's breeding who and what we're going to see in the, in the, in the lineup next year, uh, their habits, uh, where, where they bed down, where they graze, where they, and I see these things all the time. And it's been one of the greatest experiences of my life to be able to watch these animals grow. And, uh, and so we started talking about these tags and I told Mason, I said, Mason, I want to, I want to do something with this tag. I want to, I want to get this tag to a first responder or a firefighter or somebody that's been affected, um, by COVID or the riots, or I want this tag to go to somebody that needs this way more than I do, because I don't, let's be honest, I don't have the, the heart to go out there and shoot one of these things right now. It's not, it's not something that I look forward to. But the way things went down yesterday was without a doubt in my career of hunting, I've never experienced anything more powerful than what went down yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I sent out a message on Instagram and, and I'm going to introduce our next guest as I'm doing this. But I sent out a message to a couple of people about um, the idea I had. And it was it was like it hit Robbie's Instagram and he fired back immediately. Like it was, it was a rapid response and that was how it lined up. So, um, the man, the myth, 
he is a legend. Um, owner of Blood Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's our little China. China. He's our little China. China. Yep. We're learning South African from him. Um, byways of South Africa to Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, Blood Origins, Robbie. And That's it. Robbie, Robbie's a filmmaker. He's a storyteller. Um, he's a hunter. He's a father. He's a husband. Uh, and he's my friend. I appreciate that. And uh, and so, Robbie, give us give us just a couple minute breakdown of who you are and what mm-hmm. what what is Blood Origins. Well, I appreciate the introduction, and I think before I make that introduction of our project and who we are, I think what you said is quite poignant, and I think we'll come around to it. Is that you said you wanted to do something for someone else, and I think we can all agree that. It's actually done something for us. Yeah, I I feel like this is the most selfish weekend I've ever had in my right. life. Like this was, this healed me more than I think what we were anticipating mm-hmm. it to heal anybody else. Mm-hmm. So Blood Origins really is a storytelling documentary platform, if you want to call it that. We're a, we're a nonprofit organization now. Five hundred one C three. Five hundred one C three. So if anyone wants to throw some bucks our way. We'll be more, more than grateful. and Mule deer bucks or Proper green American backs. greenbacks. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Real shooters here. <laughs> and what we do is we essentially tell the story of the hunter in that the 99% of why we hunt has been masked, has been overlooked by the industry's desire to show the kill. And that's not why we do it. It's the kill is inherently a part of why we hunt that's the purpose it's the finality of the exercise it's the finality of the lifestyle but i think that any hunter will tell you that that is an anticlimactic point of the journey and so we are very interested in explaining the we essentially want to convey the truth around hunting and the truth is transparent and it's honest and it's full of heritage and family and tradition and conservation and how it affects people and how it affects you know, tied to spirituality, all those elements, the fact that it's transparent, all these elements that aren't typically sexy for the hunting outdoor industry. But are real. Yeah, and different for everybody. That's right. Even, you know, those pinpoint things, it's different for everybody. So everyone has their own story. Yeah, it means something different to everybody. But there's a connected thread between all four of us here. And so that's what we want to tell. And the, the, the central point of the project is not to speak to the hunting community it's to speak to the community that's listening to this podcast it's a community of non-hunters you know hey this is the perception that you have of hunting well no that's not true come look at what we do come look at the heart come see the heart that's what we're about the thing about it that that i learned from you is is we've had what two years Mm -hmm. two years of interaction together Mm -hmm. we've talked about you coming out and talking about me Mm -hmm. which the stars didn't line up for a reason (laughs) like that's that's the thing that i like the most about this is this is this was not the story of jay and robbie's great expedition in in the desert southwest uh but we we've been talking and we've been we've been trying to figure out what's good and what's bad we've talked on the phone multiple times and just kind of understanding each other and then when you meet somebody in person and you get to understand their true personality the thing that i admire the most after looking back after the last couple of days is you are brutal 
you're honest mm-hmm. and you say exactly what you think. Mm-hmm. And it is a trait that all of us in this day and age need more of. People need to just say, no, this is not the way this is going to go. This is Jay, get your ass out of the cave. We're about to tell us, you know, our guest's story. Mm-hmm. And, and then when we come back and, and circle the wagons, everything makes sense. And you're true to yourself because of that, Mm -hmm. you know, where people are like, well, I just want to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy and included. And I'm going to tell these cute, fluffy stories about how we shot this animal and it's sacred. It's not that. No, it's real. It's brutal. It's honest. And Mm -hmm. that's the way that you in the short period of time that I know you have lived your life. And I think that's why Blood Origins is such an amazing project. Like it's really something that's crazy. I appreciate that. Mason, would you agree? A hundred percent. Okay. He does want everybody to feel warm, fuzzy, happy but in the right route, you know, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears to make sure the point gets across his honesty and he's a man's man. And that's what makes the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I've been accused of real. I've been accused of being quite an asshole at times. You are. Yeah, absolutely. But the, (laughs) but the problem is, and then in the same breath, they say, but man, we wish you could be more like you. Yeah. You know, so that's called being true. He said it. So, (laughs) so, Let's let's revert back to the story. Mm-hmm. I send you that message. Mm-hmm. And where were you at and what was going on? So we were traveling up to Maine. Um, it was about 11 a.m. on a Wednesday morning, October, uh, September the 2nd. Uh, that's almost a month ago from when we were recording this podcast. And I got the message, obviously responded back because my personality does not allow me to leave the, the little... Instagram, you've got a little DM. I have to take care of it right away. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, we're in. Like, I can't. Like, I just, you know, I'm in. I don't have much, but we're in. And at 2 p.m. that afternoon, uh, we had arranged to meet uh, the fourth guest on this podcast, Margie. And uh, we were interested in telling Margie's story. The way that Blood Origins works is the person who we film when we release their story, it's their job to find us the next story. It's their job to find us, whether it's known, unknown, male, female, old, young, it doesn't matter. Give me the story because you know it's good and I trust you because you trusted me. So that she, Erin Crooks, who runs a project called Raise Him Outdoors, could have given me anyone, anyone, anywhere in the country. But she gave me a lady called Margie Group. And Margie was <laughs> tough to get a hold of. Tough to communicate with. Margie, we've, we've, we've beat around the bush here a little bit, but you, you, uh, you're hard to get a hold of. I, but I'm really not. The thing is I was avoiding Robbie. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's you, true. Like when we talked after it all went down, our communication's great. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but why, why were you, why were you unavailable for Robbie? Because I knew opening that door wasn't just like, Hey, let's sit down and have a cup of coffee. Like it's full of emotion. It's deep. It's raw. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. So I just avoided him. Yeah. She knew what was coming. She knew that there wasn't, it wasn't going to be a pleasant conversation. It wasn't going to be something that she's going to enjoy, but it was something that was going to be real and authentic and genuine when we pulled it out of her. So what happens next? You're not getting a hold of Margie well. No, we're not. And two o'clock, we, we sit down. I meet her for the first time. We've only talked and we've texted and whatnot. And yeah, we sat down for a beer and we chatted for an hour. And she explained her tattoos and she broke down in an hour with us. And myself and my cameraman were sitting there and I was just like, cheapest creepers. 
Um, and it's good. Jeepers creepers. Yeah, Jeepers creepers, man. I just, I wanted, you know, I was super more, I was more intrigued in the story. And I told her, I said, Margie, we are here when you are ready. That's what I said to her when I left. I said, we're here when you're ready. And you were not ready. No. Nope. I was like, okay, sounds good. So we hugged and we left the brewery and uh, I got in the rental car, started the rental car, and then I called you. So it was the span of three hours. In a span of three hours. When, so it was seven o'clock in the morning when Mason and I and Johnny had that conversation. By three o'clock that afternoon, the stars were lining. Mm-hmm. Things were coming together. But Margie, you weren't ready for those stars to line up yet. Because you didn't know what was coming. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I just, I called you. I said, you have someone. And you're like, no, no, I don't have someone. I said, well, if you're looking for someone, I have the person for you. And it was funny too, because now that you've gotten to understand my personality and my mind and how wild out, out there, I guess I would say I am. I said, yeah, we'll all circle the wagons back with you next week. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, we've got this together. Mm-hmm. Jay, stop. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of Montana, man. Like, I'm not going to be able to. Rodeo dude. We're rodeoing. Mm-hmm. I'm watching Cowboy just put the iron to the side of that horse. Mm-hmm. That made me feel good saying it like that. Made me feel like I was a part of that. I was standing in the mud screaming at you like a little girl. <laughs> um, so what happens next, Robbie? Tell this story. So I sent you a couple of messages on Margie's story. You sent me two links to Margie's story. And I said, just check it out. Here's her story. You call me back and you said, look, I think she's, uh, she sounds perfect. Do you think she'd be interested? And I'm like, I have no idea. Because clearly in the back of my brain, I'm like, this woman's pushed me off, you know, for the last couple of months. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I said, well, when is it? <laughs> Here's a J thing. <laughs> he goes, October the 2nd. I was like, that's like three weeks, Jay. He's like, yeah, but it's just, you know, I was like, well, I'll ask, I'll ask Aaron. And so I reached back to Aaron, who is my contact to Margie, who lives in the same community. And I said, what do you think? Would she do it? And she goes, I think she'd do it. And I said, okay, do you think that she'll have babysitters? Cause she's obviously got three kids. And she goes, yeah, she, she's got some friends around that can help. I said, okay. So I texted her first. Another one of our awesome sponsors is Big Frig Coolers. You know, it seems like everybody has a cooler. I mean, if you if you think about your new garage or in the trunk of your car or in the back of your pickup, we all have coolers. One thing about being a farmer and running around on the roads that we have, I can beat the living crap out of anything that you put in the back of my truck. And I've had a lot of coolers. I did not understand what it was like to have a well-made cooler until I got a Big Frig cooler. I got to meet Brock a while back. He's the owner of Big Frig. Him and his amazing team have gone through uh, trial after trial, making sure that they are putting together the best built cooler that you can buy. The cool thing about Big Frig is you're able to customize your cooler as well. So if you're looking for a personalized logo or if you're looking something for your company to be on top of that, so that way you're always repping your company, get with the guys at Big Frig. They can do any kind of crazy custom order. Uh, I've got my J Hill logo on mine and I absolutely love it. Went elk hunting with it, orange rubbed all over it. It still looks absolutely amazing. Go to bigfrig.com. They've got all kinds of awesome things and we support their movement as they support ours. We look forward to the future with Big Frig. And of course, one sponsor that I really can get behind, and I'm so honored to be a part of this great team, Chaffee. Chaffee is a 
Western grown forage. It's an alfalfa based product that's grown in the high desert of West Texas, actually in the shadow of the Guadalupe Mountains, which is the tallest point in the state of Texas. Chaffee is a premium feed in the fact that we take alfalfa and we let biology do what it does best. It jumps in and it breaks down that feed through the culturing process that allow probiotics and all of these microbes to allow this product to be highly digestible by your animal. If you want more information about Chaffee, you can go to Chaffee.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or just stop by your local feed store and ask them about Chaffee. If they don't know anything about it, send them our way. Have them ask questions. Tell them Jay sent you. If you're looking for the right forage for your farm, try Chaffee. Um, I said, hey, no, I called you. You didn't answer. Typical. Typical. So then I texted. I said, hey, call me back. I've got something to ask you. And so then I talked to you. And this was just, it was back and forth. Like I was texting you saying, hey, I tried to call. She didn't answer. Yep. I don't know. Then she calls me. You were like, I've got a meeting in 45 minutes. I'm going to be in, in the meeting for 45 minutes. Crop dusting us. Yeah, so uh, this is not sponsored by Westwind Ag, but we just want to say, Jay, thanks for spraying for us. So if you guys are hearing the, the crop duster in the background, Jay's just out doing what he's doing. Yeah. And so she called me back, and she was in between sports exercises. She had dropped, you know, one was doing jujitsu, and two girls were in the car, and she was sitting outside on the bench outside of jiu-jitsu and your girls your girls you told them just to sit down and be quiet and they oh, obviously just, listened obviously just doing cartwheels and mom mom like <laughs> quiet and so i said hey i've got something to ask you um but i think it's probably best coming from the guy that i've been talking to and you were just you had no idea like, what can i three-way call him i was like yeah sure go for it well, and so, so we talk about kind of how brash Robbie is that phone call. You were just like, Hey, uh, what's, what's the deal? Like, like I wanted to tell her, I right. wanted to tell it all to her, but I was like, I'll steal Jay's thunder here. So let me just, <laughs> let's get Jay on the phone. Let him explain what's going on. And, and, and thank you for that because that was, that was a conversation that once you said, yes, Margie, I was like, this is going to be something big. <laughs> like knowing your story a little bit, which we want to talk about, but not knowing the whole story, I was instantly drawn. I told you I'd sent you a text message that said there's a connection that that I can't explain. And Jay is getting me. He must be spraying town. Must be. But I wanted I wanted to be able to know that you you were in. Yeah. You know. So what yeah. what were what were you thinking when you've got you've got Robbie over here. He's like, yeah, I've got something lined up for you. That's my best Robbie accent. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big like overthinker. So I was like, oh, I, I don't know. I'll just call him back. You know, it sounded important by his voicemail. So I called him back. And now you're in Del City, and Texas. Now I'm, and now I'm here. So without further ado, this is Margie Groob. Margie is um, my friend. Margie is a part of our family. And it did not take long for all of that to take place and happen. Um, I tell you what, I, I still can't get to a point where I can wrap my head around what we did yesterday. I know. Margie, the reason that you popped up is because you've lived um, what most people would consider the biggest nightmare of their life. Yeah. Your husband died a little over three years ago. It'll be four years in December. Mm -hmm. Um, 
three small children. Yep. Talk us, talk us about where you were at four weeks ago. Um, what I was doing. What, what, four years ago? Four, four years weeks ago. ago. Four, four weeks ago. Yeah, four when, weeks ago. When we started this conversation, what was your, what was your mental status? I mean, I feel like where I've been is lately is to just be present with my children. Like they're my priority. You know, they're my why. They're why I do everything. Um, but also, you know, I've told myself if things come up, I feel like a lot of times that, you know, I kind of avoid, like with Robbie, I'll avoid hard conversations. I have no problem saying no to people. I, you know, kind of become a little bit of a loner. And, you know, but I've told myself if things come up, just say yes and do it. So you called and I mean, I was blown away. I, I was, I cried, I was speechless and completely blown away. So when did you meet Devin? I met Devin in 2005 or five in San Diego. And tell us about Devin. Devin, um, was from a small town in North Dakota called Cavalier, North Dakota. You totally threw me off though because you called it Tiny Town. I in did, North Dakota. And, you that's and I was the like Googling, I was like, they have a town called Tiny Town, North Dakota? <laughs> Cavalier. Um, and it's an amazing town. I mean, it reminds, it's just small town America like this. And crop duster flying when you're trying to do a podcast, absolutely. state parks yelling on the phone behind <laughs> us. Like, yeah, who that? <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get some of that knocked out of this, but. Um, but he was an amazing father, amazing husband. He lived life to the fullest. I mean, he probably lived more life in his 36 years than most people do in a lifetime. Um, but he was a Navy SEAL and he was a hunter and you know, a very... And he was a sniper. He was a sniper, yeah. He actually, when he died, he was a sniper instructor. Okay. So, you know, like... So you're... Doing what he did and always did the best at it. So you're... Walk us through the day that, that he that he passed away. Oh, that was... So it was a Wednesday. Um, the night before, he was going ocean water kayaking fishing and he had never done that before and I mean like mind you like through this whole story like he's from North Dakota like he knows the cold like he's a Navy SEAL he knows the water um and you know I I never really would worry because uh worry gets you nowhere you know um and you know, he was just going fishing. It was no big deal. And he was a frog man. I mean, he was, he, he knows the water. He knows rough conditions. Right. Right. Um, and so about 9am, I was just getting ready to go to the gym. You know, I had the three kids there. There were one, three and six at the time. And, um, the phone rings and it's him and I answer it. And the minute I hear his voice, I knew I knew something was terribly wrong. Um, you know, like he's called me millions of times on deployment on 
trips and I just heard it in his voice and I was just like, shit. What did he tell you? Um, he's like, I'm in the water and, um, and you know, so I ran outside of the front door and like Wyatt, my son at that time who was six, like came out front and was like standing by the front door and I was like trying to get away from the kids so they wouldn't hear me. And I was like going in the house. And so I was trying to just immediately find out where he was so I could get help. And I'm like, where are you? And um, I mean, he wasn't, the water, the temperature was 42 degrees. He didn't have on a dry suit, um, was just in regular clothes. Kayak, the waves that day were awful in the ocean. Um, the guy that he was with wasn't around him. Um, kayak flipped. And I don't know how he got his phone, but um, he did. And he called me 11 times from the water. And, you know, it's it's a blessing because it's, you know, it's just like, he wasn't, uh, he loved so deep, but he wasn't like, I'm super passionate. I, you know, like if I love you, you know, it. there's no guessing about it. Um, and you know, I think a lot of times I wanted that same passion from him, but that just wasn't who he was. He was more of like a simple love. That was your yin to your yang. Right. Right. And, you know, looking back at it, I'm like, man, he was, you know, hanging on to survive and all he wanted to do was call me. So, I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's heartbreaking and, um, but it's beautiful. What, what was the last thing that you guys got to say to each other? Um, I don't even remember, you know, it was, it was so chaotic and it was so, um, like I was trying to figure out where he was. You know, like in the middle of this, I I was texting some of his friends to and, you know, calling 911 and trying to get helicopters out. And I was trying to figure out if there was a buoy that he was by or if he could give me some kind of landmark that I could tell them where he was by. Um, and, you know, it was just I love you. I love the kids. And Yeah. And you have taken this unbelievable traumatic experience and you are turning this into something that is so unbelievable. And you, if you're sitting here and listening to this and you're wondering why in the world is Margie Groove in Dell City, Texas, <laughs> with a guy that's got a funny accent, a guy that rides bucking horses for a living. Right, what a group. What a group. What a group. I mean, you had, Jeez. You, you had the three stooges on your side the whole entire time this thing yeah. came together. Um. You said that it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and through the trauma, you you are wearing the shoes of a mom and you're wearing the shoes of a dad. Mm -hmm. And you are at a point in your life now, and I, I don't let me put any words in your mouth, but you are at a point now where you're building. Yeah. This is for how many years were you married? Um. Well, we... Got married Twice. secretly. Yeah. <laughs> January 2009. No one knew about it till like after our second kid. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're just living in sin over there. <laughs> and then, but we had our courthouse marriage in 2010, January 2010. So you, you've told the story of your husband. Yeah. And we've talked about little things here and there and the things that, you know, you, you said yeah. one thing that you said that hit me hard is like, man, you and Devin would have been buddies. Oh, man. And uh, the thing that gets me out of the story now is Devin now lives in Mason's life. Yeah. And Robbie's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mine. Yeah. And for you to share that with us has been something that will always stay with us for until I die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you are now at a point where you are living your life. Yeah. And you carry him with you, but at the same time, you are building who you are. Right. And so for people to ask, and I asked the question, I said, Margie, what is what does tomorrow hold for you? And and your response is, I'm a mama bear. I'm I am here for my children. Yeah. But through the conversations, I'm seeing more and more and more of who you are and the fact that you are destined to do something great. And we got to witness something great yesterday. And I want to take I want to take time to go through what happened yesterday. Yeah. So the conversation on the phone between the three of us, you know, it's like, hey, tomorrow you got to be in West Texas. Uh, what are you what are you thinking about as we're getting ready to before you get on the plane? You're talking to Robbie. You're talking to me. Um, things are going together. What are you are you just thinking about the experience? What are you what are you thinking you're going to get out of coming to, to the middle of nowhere? I was just like, fuck, yeah, like <laughs> I'm going to get to go hunt a pronghorn like. And why, why is, why is this important? And why did we choose Margie? She's got three kids. Mm -hmm. Devin was an unbelievable outdoorsman, loved to hunt. She shared uh, a poem or a writing from him. She didn't even know he wrote until his memorial service. service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's called the hunter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely gorgeous. It was so well written. Yeah. But you want to be able to take his love and passion and now your love and passion for the outdoors and, and on with for my, me and my kids and your kids to be able to hook their, their selves to this and right. be able to experience the things, even though they don't have their dad physically with them, but spiritually they've got him right. and they've so, got you as the vessel to teach them. Right. And I mean, it's a matter of, you know, and I, I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday that, you know, Sure, there's, you know, Devin's friends that'll take Wyatt hunting once a year, but that's not going to get it ingrained in him. You know, like it's my job to teach him the things that I want him to teach, how I want all three of those kids to live. And you learn by doing so it's, you know, and I love it too. So it's, you know, but it's me taking that role of saying like, okay, if this is how, what we want our kids to appreciate. If this is what we want our kids to do, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. We, me. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, and I'm learning, you know, I'm not, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in the city. I, you know, and I expected to learn all this. You from, hunted at McDonald's. <laughs> that was actually my first job. Oh, really? Yeah. 14. 14. Yeah. That's why you and Katie have a connection. She was a Subway sandwich artist. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah so you know it's it makes me excited 
to learn for myself, but also I see the spark in my kids' eyes, you know, and even when I told the kids what I was going to go do, they were super pumped and like, they're like, mom, you got to get something to hang on the wall. And I was like, oh my gosh, the pressure's on. Like, you know I mean? It's, it's so different here because I, I told you like last year we went deer hunting. I never saw one deer last year. It's mm-hmm. like the first day here when we saw 20 bucks running. I was like, where are we? <laughs> Out here in the middle. Yeah. The land of magic. Yeah. Yeah. The Valley of Hidden Water. Yeah. So if we're, if we're, if Mason drives in, you've got a rodeo in Eastern Colorado. You drive 11 hours down, get you tucked in. Actually, we didn't get you tucked in. Me and Mason and Brianna got in the truck and we went looking for animals that night. We're driving around in the desert. What do you what do you think of that night? And I was just super happy to be here. You know, I knew this was going to be a kick ass experience, humbling experience, but wasn't prepared for what happened yesterday. Wasn't prepared at all for any of it. And n- neither was Brianna. You know, she was just coming down to hang out and maybe get to go out and experience it too. But we looked at each other last night before we got to bed, and she. Wow, I'm so happy that I'm here with you. And I said, I I can't say anything more than that. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that you're here to experience this, to see what a you know, heart of a lion and mind of a warrior Margie is. And we'll get through more of the story, but <laughs> I just you know, just just happy to be there that night and wasn't prepared for so we looked at any of it. We looked at forty animals that night. And uh, Avelina, Avelina, spiny tree pigs, skunks, also known as porcupines, uh, fat raccoon. Yeah, they all. We got to see a lot of neat, interesting things that night, and it kind of gave me a little bit of fire, you know, for what was about to happen. We go and pick you guys up to the airport. You guys have had to fly in, so you got a little bit of jet time on you, and then I throw you in the truck, and it's like ping pong as normal. We're eating lunch. At, at the office in El Paso, got to go to Cabela's. Um, Las Cruces. We go to Cruces, and and I want to take just a second just to say thank you to Robert Major. Um, yeah. Robert, Robert is a busy man. You could see what was going on Absolutely. there. Major Wildlife Studios in Las Cruces. He is an artist, um, and he tells people's story of their hunt through the taxidermy work that he does mm-hmm. and, and the preservation of those animals. And so I wanted Margie to meet Robert um, and I wanted her to see what he does. And Robert is not a very social person. So for him to take a little time and actually hang out with us for a minute, that that was pretty special because Robert's a busy guy. Yeah. And um, and so Robert donated the shoulder mount for Margie's pronghorn, which she shot yesterday. And, um, and he said, I, I said, do you, would you like to meet her? And he's like, I would love, I would love to meet oh, her. So sweet. Um, and so we got to do that. We picked up food and came back and then we went out, we ate and then we went out and looked at a bunch of animals. Yeah. And, and so Margie, I, I, I think Robbie and Margie, I'm going to, I'm going to shut up now and I'm going <laughs> to let the two of you walk us through what happened from getting in the truck that evening until where we're sitting today. Well, I was, I think we were both so exhausted, but we were just like, unbelievable that we're here, unbelievable to the reception, right? I think that the people of Dell City and the people that showed up and everyone just 
wanted to get to know us and get to know Margie. And, you know, the story had been spread that this thing is happening. Something special is going down in Dell City, Texas. And that's the thing, too, that, you know, everybody that was behind the scenes that, that nobody's going to ever see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that helped. We're so excited for you to be here. Oh. Um, it was, I mean, even with our tour yesterday, like for them, you made their year uh, and and for the experience easy for all cowboy. Of us, yeah easy over there mason what are you doing doing cowboy stuff yeah <laughs> right doing the air bronx <laughs> serve your pizza in, in peace please um but it was just amazing to watch everybody come together and it just so happened to be our fair it happened to be our rodeo weekend mm-hmm. which is like the biggest weekend of the year mm-hmm. so yeah and you got so we looked at a bunch of animals and we were out late. Yeah. You know, 11, 30, 12, two in the morning, your time. Right. One in the morning, our time. So we rolled into Saturday. Man, it feels like Saturday was like four days ago. It does. It does. In terms it of really what does. we've done. But Saturday's highlight was obviously the rodeo. And South Africans never seen a rodeo before. And uh, well, Margie. Or me. Margie's <laughs> been talking about she loves horses. That's uh-huh. right. And, um, and. You you find a lot of peace with horses, I guess. Yeah, I do. And um, so for us to watch a authentic Western Ranch rodeo, how was that experience? Oh, it was so cool. I mean, I felt like I was, it was at a movie or something. And I was like, this is real. It was this fun. Really <laughs> it was fun because we really didn't. There wasn't a whole lot of talking going on with Margie during the ranch rodeo. Mm-mm. Like she was just glued. <laughs> she was, you know, that experience too when when they start to say the Cowboys hymn and they start to sing and the national anthem comes on and the horses in the arena. Oh, it's amazing. And we're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This is 250 people, small town America. Mm-hmm. And for us, that is the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, that is, that is the, that is the time of year where we are this proud to be Americans. Right. And well, I'm every day I'm proud to be American, but to have you standing there, yeah. And the sacrifice that your husband did and the sacrifice that you had to live was just one of those things where it made it even more surreal. But that's too, you know, like these type of things is why Devin joined, why he fought. You know, he loved his small town. He wanted to fight and do it. So this kind of stuff would happen always. Yeah. It's a testament. I mean, it's a it's humbling. So we... Fast forward through Saturday, we finished the ranch rodeo, mm-hmm. we eat dinner at the house, mm-hmm. quiet conversation. Well, we shot, we shot first. Oh, we and I think, <clears throat> how did I forget that? The thing is that I, and maybe this is, you, you did get to know Robbie, like full on Robbie, but because I'm in a Blood Origins weekend, I've also got this like level of anxiety tied with it because I know what I'm looking for and I'm. I'm trying to figure out the story. I'm trying to figure out because I know the interview's coming. The interview's always super anxious for me. When is that going to happen? And so, you know, there's all those parts to it. It's not just like I can enjoy the weekend. I want to enjoy the weekend, but I've also got this thing that I have to do. But you got me in the background. I was like, check out this. Look at this. Move here. Go there. (laughs) There's a squirrel right there. There's a squirrel right there. Hey, let's get in the truck. We're about to leave. Okay, Jay, let's go. 15 minutes later, Jay. Like a bunch of Nanta here. Yeah, I was like, hey, Jay, we're going or what are we doing? <laughs> I like saying hi to people. <laughs> but yeah, the shooting was, you know, she'd never shot the gun, hasn't shot a, you know, a 
long distance like that. Big caliber. Big caliber gun, 28 nozzle off a bench, you know, 150 yards on steel. With a 20 to 30 mile an hour crosswind. Yep. First shot, rung steel. Second shot, rung steel. Same spot. Third shot, rung steel. MOA, right within MOA. I look at Jay. Jay goes, do you want to shoot the 250? I'm like, no, Jay, she's done. We're done. Let's keep the confidence high. We're going into the hunt. But I said it out loud and Margie grabbed it. She smiles, turns around and goes, can I shoot further? I'm like, oh, I want to go further. Here we go. So Margie, what are you thinking when you're shooting a gun? Because you've got, you know, and that's when I backed off. I wanted Mason to get in there with you because you two were, this was, this was, Mason was your guide. Yeah. And I wanted you guys to get the rapport and the bond together. What was it like just sitting with Mason on the bench? I mean, I was just trying to take in what he was teaching me, you know, like I, I wanted to do it right. You know, I like, I wanted, you know, he's like aim for that little black dot. So, you know, like that's what I was trying to do. And that's what I wanted to do, you know, like in the back of my mind. And And you did. (laughs) And I did, Um, you know, that like it was practice for the next day. And so I wanted to make sure that I felt confident doing that, that, you know, like I didn't want to go to shoot this animal and, you know, shoot it in the leg. And, you know, like I wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing. On the ethical kill. Yeah. Mason, what were you, what was going through your mind when she's just ripping steel over there? I had no doubt <coughs> that she couldn't do that. Like before even getting to that, that point or anybody said she's going to practice with the gun that she's never shot before. I didn't have any doubt that Margie couldn't shoot. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, and it was so, I mean, and we'll get into the hunt, but the yardage and the way that everything went down, too. Your exactly. husband was a sniper. Girl, you're a sniper. I mean, yeah. to be quite honest, <laughs> we had, like, me and Devin had only shot a handful of times, if that. You know, like, when, I mean, I had three babies back to back, and I nursed them all a long time. And, you know, so it was like, we we really didn't have time to, he was gone a lot. so. You know, like we really looked forward to him getting out and being able to do this kind of stuff together. Um, so, you know, I've gone out a few times since then, but I, you know, you could count probably on hands and toes the amount of times that I've shot. So she's comfortable with the gun, mm-hmm. obviously. We wrap the night up. Mm-hmm. The next morning, it's five. We're picking everybody up. Um, we're in the ranger. It's cold. It's, it was 42 degrees. Um, no windshield. Everybody's bundled up. We get in the ranger. We go to meet Ross and Johnny and Dave. And uh, I think one thing that should be important, too, is when Robbie wants to shoot something, he wants to make sure that the camera guy is tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I offered up Dave. A.K.A. John. Also known as his real name is John, but I don't I don't even know who John is. I just know Dave. And uh he he's a real deal. Oh, he's the real deal. And uh real deal. And so getting him out here and getting we were getting to watch the footage of her practice shoot shooting. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this is this is a masterpiece in the mm-hmm. making. Yeah, I told him, I said, This is what I want to see. This tight, this angle. And in 120 or whatever, you know, just us, lang- you know, the camera language, camera lingo. 
And he's like, okay, come look at this, come look at this. And you saw us a couple of times. You know, I'm just like, mm. that's it. So we're bundled up. We've got Credence Clearwater Revival blaring on the speakers, flying down the road into the barn to go meet Ross. Mm-hmm. I'm pumped. Like, I'm already, like, I'm jacked up, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, we get everybody loaded up, and we go to the spot that I want. Now, for you guys to know, too, I didn't want this to be a hunt that it could be. The fact that we could drive into a pivot of alfalfa, and we could open the door, and Margie could step outside, and she could just pull the trigger. Like, this was not about that. This was about uh, her getting to do a stock and, you know, finding the animal and not just, you know, driving up to him. So I'm thinking, hey, we're going to go to the backside of this spot of desert that we're going to have to hike in to go ahead and find these animals. Well, we get in there and it's still dark. And by the time we get to where I wanted to stop, as the sun starts to come up, we're in the middle of 25 animals. Like we're, we're 15 to 60 yards in a whole herd of antelope. I'm like, well, what the heck, man? Like, this is not, this is not, this is too easy. So everybody kind of takes their time and gets everything set up. Margie, go, go from here. Um, well, where did we put the, I don't, do we put the gun on the ground? We never really got the gun out, you know, like the sun's still coming up and I'm looking down at the watch, the time and making sure that we're in shooting light, trying to figure out which, buck is in there there's three or four different bucks oh, yeah. there's 20 30 does there's a pile of antelope right here <laughs> and and some nice bucks and nice bucks and i'm just i'm kind of trying to figure out which one is uh is our is our pick our candidate and then i look back at you and i'm like are we shooting time and it's like he's like yeah it's go time like we're 20 minutes past it and i said yeah, let's get the gun and ross and ross is pulling the gun out and Margie's excited. She's, you know, yeah, I mean, like, do you see that one? On, right. And, there's because there's two big ones. They're pretty similar, pretty close yeah. to size and age. And uh, honestly, those antelope, they just walked away from us, you know, and they've got you know, 200 yards to 300 yards. And we're having to step forward just to see over the crest of a hill. And they just keep kind of walking away and walking away and I'm starting to get anxious now because they're going away. There's a really nice buck right there. And like everybody's standing there, like the Rangers and everybody's standing there. And I really think that it was meant to be that way. There's something pushing those antelope away from us. And they started running this. yeah, Yeah. And then they just took off. Like we didn't move fast. We didn't spook them, make loud noises. They just, they decided to head out and I honestly think that was your husband. Yeah. Like, like Margie, you're get not here. getting yeah. this. Like, yeah, you're going to hunt. Yeah. Honey, like we're hunting. We're, we're not, not going to get, we're not, we're, just we're, shooting. Not, we're not just shooting. We are hunting today. Yeah. These antelope, they're going away. You're going to feel every emotion of hunting right now. Yeah. And there and was an antelope that I wanted. And I've told people for a long time that there was an animal that I had picked that I wanted to be called. Like I, I knew his grandfather. I knew his dad. I know him and he was hurt, but just a, he's a big antelope. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a different, he's, he's wide, just a he's beautiful animal. And that's who I secretly was hoping that we were going to get to. Not secretly. I was telling people, I was like, I want Waldo. 
you know, I name all these stupid animals. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted him. You know, I wanted Margie to be able to experience that guy. So, Robbie, where were we? we? We pack up. We pack up and we like, Mason says, hey, there's a ridge over there. Can we get across the ridge? Because that's where those, you know, that whole herd was heading out to. And we just, as in South Africa, we balega out of there. We just freaking whole ass out of there. Yeah. And uh, you got a phone call from yeah. the ranger behind us. Yeah. So we're trucking along 30, 40 miles an hour across the desert trying to get up on this hill. Trying to find the road, really. Yeah. Tr- we're yeah, we're, we're weaving. The There's no road. So I'm weaving through the brush trying to get there. And I get a phone call. And it's from Ross. And I pick up the phone. And he's like, hey, we just passed Waldo. And I'm like, what? And he's like, we just went 50 yards into Waldo. And I'm like, he's here? And he's like, yeah, he's here. So we stop and turn around. And you got a text message as well. Yeah, well, before that, like in my head, I was just um, kind of mentally saying the poem thing that Devin wrote in my head. And I was saying it, and then I was like, oh, I can't remember that next line. And I haven't had any service here, like, pretty much the whole time. And for some reason, I, we got out of the, um, what is it? A Ranger. 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 Mm-hmm. We got out of the Ranger, and I look at my phone, and one of Devin's best friends has texted me, and he had texted that next line in the poem. You know, it wasn't the first line. It was, you know, like that next the one you were working on. Yeah. Yeah. Had you texted him? Like what, what's the poem? No, not what at was all. The reason I mean, he, for that text message. He knew that I was going hunting that morning. That's it. Like that's it. So yeah. when we got out of the ranger and I read the text message, like I kind of walked away cause I was tearing up and I didn't want to, you know, I just was doing my own thing. And I was like, wow. I was like, okay. This is it. And then Waldo appears. Right. Yeah, and I think I'll let Mason continue from here because he was the guy. Then the stalk got then the stalk got on proper. He was the Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> so we flip around, get back there. We already have the gun established with Margie. And I turn around and I see John like right here and <laughs> next to us and we're maybe 150 yards now walked in to 150 yards of him of Waldo and I look at John I'm like the hell are you doing (laughs) I've never guided with a cameraman before and I'm like hey man like back off yeah I look at him I'm like hey get behind me (laughs) he's like yeah yes sir (laughs) because like my eyes were like look at him just in shock like why are you not like, we're trying to stalk. harvest this animal this is the problem with outfitters they don't know how to tell stories <laughs> <laughs> yeah guilty um and then i'm like we're trying to get this on film so be a little bit patient there i think you know and we had a Robbie's we had a wind like right on. in our face too, yeah, which was, was nice. He had no yeah. idea we were behind him. Mm-hmm. The sun was in his behind, eyes, yep. behind us. The wind was perfect, other than the cameraman. I just wasn't you know used to that. So I knew Robbie was back there. I'm like, hey, give him you know Robbie's probably coaching him in on how to you know shoot this film and this hunt. So just be patient with it. 
trust Robbie's back there guiding him in. And we start to lay down, and it's too low for her to lay down on the gun and get a good shot. You know, the crest of the hill and some of the brush in front of us wasn't letting Margie see clearly. So I put a tripod up, and she's just not getting steady enough on the tripod behind the gun, and she just can't, you know. I'm excited. Like, I'm looking through the binos, and I'm shaking. Like, I'm so jacked up for Margie to harvest this buck, and I'm shaking behind the binos and trying to tell her, relax. And yeah, he's so calm. Like, he's like, all right, as soon as it comes, broadside. <laughs> Take the shot. And I and I couldn't. I mean, like, I couldn't get it to stay on its shoulder and steady enough where I felt comfortable shooting. I was like, I can't, Mason. I can't do it. We we turned the safety off two or three times before I was like, all right, let's just let's watch him for a second. Let's see where he's going. And he's he focuses attention, you know, kind of to the our right, his his twelve. And he's like, Robbie goes, he's going to bust. He's going to run. And Great I'm like, accent. I'm like, well, what's he running for? And I can hear hooves and I'm like, oh shit. There's another bat, you know, another herd of uh, pronghorn. Coming mm-hmm. And I look over and it's mule deer and he starts wanting to be, you know, aggressive running and go after those mule deer. I'm like, shit. He is. Robbie's like, go further. And I'm like, hey, wait, everybody stop. Like, he's not going to chase those mule deer. He runs 100 yards and stops, looks at us, looks back at them. They make it into the brush further on out in the desert. And he just starts to feed. Mm-hmm. He just relaxes. We don't, we're not moving. We've crouched down again and let him relax, calm back down. And again, we get on the tripod. She can't get steady. I click the safety off and I look at her and I grab the, the action. I said, wait till you're comfortable. I'll, we're, we're here all day. This is your time. We're not going anywhere. We, we do not need to rush this. I want her to make a clean ethical shot just as bad as she does. Robbie does. Jay does. It needs to be harvested the right way. I look at her and I kind of saying this to myself too, like, relax we've got all the time in the world margie what's your what are you are you, is your heart pounding oh my gosh <laughs> like like not much makes me nervous and like i really wasn't expecting that like my heart felt like it was gonna pump right out of my chest and you know Devin would always tell me stories like that and i was like holy cow like i could feel myself like Breathing heavy in my heart was just like, boom, 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 boom. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's. You can feel it in your ears. Oh, it's powerful. Yeah. And so Robbie says, move forward. And I'm like, God, he's still got his attention on us. I don't really want to move forward yet. And so we wait maybe five minutes and I look back at Robbie and he's just like kind of shrugs his shoulders. And I'm like, the hell with it. Like, let's give it a shot. So we. Kind of crouch forward, what, maybe 40 yards? 40 yards. and Just onto point, a little knoll. And he's 300. 40 yards, there's a little mound. And I'm like, holy shit, beautiful. We've got a little bit of elevation. We're finally on top of the crown. He's 300 yards. Here's our chance. We lay down, and instantly Margie's, yes, 
that feels much better. Yeah. She's got a clear view of him. And if you haven't worked with a, you know, a high performance scope before, you can zoom, you know, you can pull in your objective tighter, which makes the reticle a little smaller in your which scope. Which is the crosshair in your scope. And yep. if you haven't shot a lot, it's hard to find that little loophole through the scope, that little hole that you're looking at. And at 300 yards, everything's super small, even when you're zoomed in. Um, so she, and she starts having trouble like finding, cause he's just kind of milling around. So she's having trouble looking through that loophole, looking at her reticles. And I said, just, just stay zoomed out all the way out for just a second. Let's let him get broadside, then slowly pull your zoom in. She pulls her zoom in and he starts walking off. And I'm like, and the brush is getting thicker. I'm just like, I can feel myself <laughs> boiling. Like, shit, I need you to turn broadside, please. <laughs> he turns broadside. Margie can't find him again. Zooms back in. Can't find him. I turned the safety off. I said, zoom Damn back. Damn it, out. Margie. Lift I know. Like, I know. I was like, oh, Mason's. Just lift your head. Yeah, he was being so calm, but I could tell, like, he was like, Ah, damn it. Like, <laughs> and I'm listening through the headphones to all of this audio, and I'm also the same way. I'm just like, oh, you just zoom the thing out and find that animal. Come on, man. By this time, I'm behind all of you guys, 150, 200. Well, I'm probably about 200 yards behind you guys with Ross and Johnny and Brianna. Brianna. And it's gotten to the point where I am freaking out. So I get off of the Ranger, get off the spotting scope. And I stalk in behind them and I get 50 yards behind them. And that voice in my head comes in and says, it probably was Devin too. stop. This is hmm. not your hunt. And I stopped and I crouched down behind this little mesquite bush. And I just was sitting there praying. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Like I was, I was just like, shoot this freaking buck, man. Get <laughs> yeah. this thing on the ground. <laughs> Continue, Mason. That. Sorry, if I'm I, freaking out already. Just you listen were back to it. there that close. I would start throwing rocks at you. Okay, <laughs> that was my Comanche coming in. Yeah. So, about the third or fourth turn off of the safety and fire, he finally turns broadside, and in the sun looks at us just beautiful, and everything just kind of slowed down in time. I felt like Margie finally took that breath of relief and calm down the earth stops moving and i can hear and i could i knew that she had hit him but i couldn't tell where on it i could just see that you know his body kind of ripple through it no no you're talking about the second shot you're right i forgot (laughs) yeah the first shot first shot you were calm dead calm like and the thing that's what i could also hear in the microphone and the headset i couldn't hear if it was a guy <laughs> there was none of that it was just like you could hear the safety go off because it was suppressed and i thought she had hit on that first one because that buck stiffened up his front leg stiffened i was like man you got him and we watched him and he just stood still for forever it's like he didn't know where it came from it definitely the vapor definitely grazed just over the top of his back mm-hmm. it to me, there was no impact just because it, you know, the sound of the shot. Mm-hmm. And I just could hear a ricochet behind it. Mm-hmm. Just made a sailing noise. And 
he made that flinch what made it look like he was hit but it just didn't feel right and Margie, what did you think because you were like did i miss him yeah I was how did i miss him it. yeah yeah i mean i think i didn't really know i was just waiting for mason to tell me what to do mm-hmm. and, okay hurry reload yeah take your safety on or put your safety back on reload she does exactly that. She finds him back in the scope, and then he runs, loses him again. I said, take another breath, pick <laughs> your head up, and turn this way. And she's like, I can't find him. I don't know where he's at, you know, with her naked eye, and he's out in the middle of the opening, but he's moved 60 yards mm-hmm. to the right of us. Um, and now he's 400. Now he's 400 yards knows that we're there now yeah he's, but he's well not aware. really he's not really pushing off so he's 400 yards she's reloaded she picks her head back up finds him again zooms back in he mills around a little picks his head back up and almost the same exact picture perfect shot the world stops again she takes that breath safety clicks three seconds later gun goes off and i can tell he's hit i tell i can tell that he was hit but I don't know where he makes a quick spin around and the evidence is just clear. That buck is painted a white coat, red in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that buck. Great shot. Within five, eight seconds, that buck laid down and that was Margie's harvest. And tell us the- about pulling the trigger and then watching him turn around Margie. Um, I didn't see him turn around. I mean, I, you know, I knew that I was supposed to keep looking through the scope, but I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> um, I obviously followed direction really well. Um, I, I, I did, I didn't see him go down. Like I, you know, saw the shot and I was just focused on that spot on him and pulling the trigger. And then after that, like, I was like, okay, like, it's out of my hands now. Like, what happened? You know, and quick blur. Yeah, and then Mason was like, "Reload, reload," and I was like, "Okay." I was like, "Did I get him?" And I reloaded, and then I don't know if it was Robbie that's like, "He's down, he's down." And I think I started crying, hugged Mason, and there's some dude fifty yards behind you screaming like an <laughs> idiot. Yeah, um, the best look, and I will never best look on anybody's face. I've guided for five years before this and the look on Margie's face when she sat up on the gun and we just finally looked at each other. I'll never forget that look of rejoice, happiness, grateful, just so clear and almost like a weight lifted off Margie's shoulders that this was, this just came to reality. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was reality for you until that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And we look at each other. <laughs> I, I'm speechless. I'm not yeah. really one for words, but I look at Margie and I, I start getting teary eyed and she's crying. She's happy. Yeah. And I just hug her and just feel so happy for Margie and what she just accomplished. All the, that roller coaster ride of emotions that Devin created. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Pushing that first hurt off. Right. Not letting us you know, get that perfect shot. Right. Having to ride the emotions, having to actually hunt right. and harvest this buck. Yeah, it was 
a special moment for me. I mean, if you if you've never felt the presence of God, that was a day to feel the presence. Yeah, for oh. sure. And I ran up, you know, I'm hoovering and hollering, and I run up, and you two are hugging. Like I can't even, like I can't even get there. And I just go and I put my hand on Robbie's shoulder, and I sit down next to Robbie, and he's crying his friggin' eyes out. And I start crying my friggin' eyes out. <laughs> and he hands me the audio and sticks the audio in my ear. And I get to listen to the two of you talking about what just happened. Mm-hmm. And it was just moving. I mean, it was just pure joy and happiness. And it was almost like when that shot went off, Mason said it. But And again, this is the most selfish weekend I've ever had in my life. It was a weight that just flew. Boom. It was gone. And to see emotion in assholes' eyes over here. <laughs> I'm Rob- a softie at heart. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just amazing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what the heart tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> did I bring that up or did you bring that up? I brought that up. I said, yeah. You got to take a bite of the heart. I was like, all right, let's do it. First antelope kill. Yeah. You got to get a bite of the heart. Yeah. Got to get some street cred with Wyatt. She's okay. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Pull the heart out and rinsed it a little bit with some water. And she looked at me and just grabbed the heart, take a bite. And I said, yep, take a little bite. And she (laughs) chomped down on this thing. (laughs) You're going to do it, do it. And I was like, do your deal. Yeah, do your deal. I need to do it too. I feel like I need to do this with Margie. I take a big old bite out of it and we enjoy a piece of heart yeah. from this antelope that we just harvest and had a little bit of his life yeah. brought to ours. And we can sit here and talk about the rest. I mean, we left that morning for a journey up to see a good friend of mine, Bobby Jones, and his mm. ranch. And he's got a very special mountain on his ranch. That is, uh, I don't want to give too much away about this special place, but um, it's incredible. It's a place where three different nations of Native Americans view as sacred and a place of worship. Um, and he spent five hours with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an older gentleman. He's in his mid sixties and. Like a billy goat, man. That guy can crawl some rocks. Yeah. And it couldn't have been a better place to conduct all the interviews. That and I was we going to say, and, and Robbie is still just clinched. He needs this interview. Mm-hmm. And we got to the cave. What, what are you saying there, Robbie? I mean, what are you? Well, it's just, that's the, you're right. I'm just clinched. Like we go and sit with Bobby Jones in his house and we're listening to stories and all I can, the stories are wonderful. But my brain is not there. Right. My brain is like, okay, I need to get this done. How am I going to start? And here's something you don't know. So every time I start a Blood Origins interview, I start with a direction of where am I going to send them? And that's what, it's not a question and answer type interview. It's more of a conversation with someone. And every time they finish something, I lead them on to where I want them to go. And so I have to lead them somewhere to start with. And you don't want to just lead them with, oh, tell me how you grew up. Yeah. How was a, Chicago? Yeah. So <laughs> I had this idea and I told John as I left the vehicle, when we left uh, Bobby's place, I said, I've got the perfect start. I've got the question in my brain. I've got it now. And uh, when we sat her down and we got everything ready and you came in, you started chatting to her and 
you know, everyone's milling around. I'm like, man, geez, there's 12 people around here. I'm about to kick them all out of here because we don't interview with anyone but the cameraman. Um, you said something. You said, hey, what? I didn't get to hear the poem. I didn't get to hear the poem. And right then in the moment, I just decided to change how I was going to start the interview. Because the way that I was going to start, I had this thing in my brain locked in about geese and geese are special for, for Margie, but they're not as special as I'd made it up in my brain. And so when I asked her the question later on in the interview, I said, tell me about the geese. And she was like, what do you want to know? Like, and I thought it would have been something super impactful. It would have been right. like, oh my gosh, don't ask me that question kind of impactful. But it wasn't, so I'm glad I actually didn't start <laughs> yeah. with that. And so I knew I wanted to start with the poem because that would have ripped her and would have sunk her to the place that I wanted her to be in right away. And you were he's a jerk, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's a jerk. And so you wanted to hear the poem, and I was like, no, you're not hearing the poem right now. You're getting out of here because I need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Need that power. And we all went and sat outside and you guys conducted the interview in a, in a cave where a well is where mm -hmm. for potentially thousands of years, people have relied on mm. to survive. Yeah. And you are now in the middle of survival. Yeah. But I think this weekend, and don't let me put words in your mouth, Margie Groob, you're not just surviving now you're living. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been on a path of, finding myself, you know, and it's like when Devin died, like my whole world just crumbled and, you know, it's like, who am I? What is my future? All of that was gone. And, you know, over the past, I'd say six months, I've really have like dug deep to self-discovery and self-growth. And, you know, this just, it was a spiritual event. You know, it was I felt Devin there. I felt, you know, I, I know how proud he is of me. And, you know, that by doing this, I also have more confidence to go out and teach my kids. And, you know, a lot of times back home, I'll find someone to be like, hey, you want to go hunting? Because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to go, you know. And and I'm like, no, I know what I'm doing. I can do this, you know. And so it's. It just gives me the more of the confidence to think and know that I can do it on my own with them. The things that I want to do with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I understand that now more than I did. Yeah. And I, I told stories all the way up to Bobby Jones um, about things that he has told and Mason and Johnny and myself sat in Bobby's house for a couple hours one day and he was showing us relics and he was showing us treasures and he was telling us stories and he was doing all of these things. Um, and he pulled three rocks out of his pocket and he explained to us about these three rocks. And, uh, it was something that when he told the story just the first time I could see it in Mason, I could see it in Johnny, like it was powerful. Like not, it's not just three rocks that were inside of a rattle of a, of a medicine man. It was, it was the fact that that was something that he passes on and keeps, he's a guardian of the secrets that will, that he will never understand. Mm -hmm. And we're down looking at 
all of these amazing artifacts and, and petroglyphs and, and petroglyphs and looking at this stuff. And I said, Hey, Bobby, show Margie your rocks. And uh, Margie, you want to pick that yeah, story? Yeah, or I asked him, I was like, I was like, tell, tell the rock story. And then you were like, yeah, do you, do you carry one of those rocks with you? And he, he pulls them out of his hand. He was like these, and he held them out. And, you know, he was a very quiet, soft-spoken man. And, you know, I was sitting on a rock. He was standing next to me and, like, put his hand towards me. And I looked at him, and, you know, you could just feel how powerful that was. And I was like, wow. It's like, that's amazing. And he, like, nods his head, and he's like, take them. Just, you know, very nonchalantly. And I could see... He was looking at me and I was looking at his him and both of our eyes just welled up and, you know, nothing really needed to be said. Like you could feel that energy and the connection and the spirit. And, and I was like, I can't take those. And he was like, take them. I got more. And, you know, I'm trying not to cry and I'm holding the rocks and I stand up and he was like, they're spiritual. They mean something. If you believe in that stuff, hold on to those. And, you know, we all just sat there. I don't think anybody knew what to say because everyone realized the what just happened was just incredible. I mean, he's carried those rocks with him for how long, you know? Been handed down for four generations. Yeah, by a medicine man from which tribe the... Chiricahua. Chiricahua, Yeah. And he gave them to me, you know, I, they were blessed by a medicine man. Yeah. Blessed by a medicine man. And it's, I think, you know, you can even, you know, we just briefly talked, but like when you meet someone, you can feel their energy, you can feel their spirit. And, you know, that he knew that I needed those and how much I would appreciate those. And really, you know, like it, it, drove him to be like, this is what I need to do, which is mind blowing. It was the earth, the earth stood still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was the cherry on the ice cream sundae that we had already eaten. Right. Yeah. I mean, somebody gave us, I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. Right. We're like, did this just happen? What, what are your takeaways going home? Oh my gosh. A lot. I mean, I think, and I said this in the interview yesterday with Mason, um, there's a Ram Dass quote I love, and it says, we're all just walking each other home. And when you really think about it, like we're all helping each other and we're all, you know, like we all took so much away from this weekend. And, you know, I think it's rare that you throw a group of people who haven't met before and, you know, I really, I, I expected just, I was going to come, I was going to hunt, we were going to talk and that was going to be that. But like, we all connected on a different level where, where we all, you know, like it was an incredible, special, emotional weekend for all of us and all of our hearts grew and all of us, you know, it makes you just appreciate life. Like I, I look at what you all have done for me to make this happen and how generous and giving it is. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity to be able to be out here in your home and your land. And, you know, you take me to see the antelope that you have watched grow. And, 
that your guys's excitement for me to do this and the whole thing is just beautiful and you think about you know you look at now is everything that's going on in the world and and you stop and think and it's like there's good people everywhere and the world is beautiful and it's you know you just have to stop and look at it and appreciate what is there and i mean i say that all the time about me that I mean, I've gone through struggle and I've gone through trauma and I've gone through hardship and I wouldn't wish any of that on anyone, but I am supremely blessed still. That's power. a power. Amen. The that is a story of Margie Groove. <laughs> you are a powerful woman. Oh, thanks. And you have, you have blessed us more than I think we've blessed you. I know that. Mm-hmm. You've blessed us a lot. For people that are going through traumatic experiences for people that are going down this road that mm-hmm. don't feel like somebody's walking them home. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what can you say to somebody? What can you, what can you tell them to do? Uh, I mean, I think you got to sit with the pain. I think a lot of times, you know, what I did in the beginning was to try to just like shove it down and I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to, acknowledge it. And I think it's dealing with and seeing the pain and suffering and letting it happen. And, you know, not to rush, rush that process. And, um, you know, there's a Trevor Hall song. It says you can't rush your healing and you can't, you know, it's, it's letting it happen and trusting the journey that even in the darkness, you know, um, it's like you can't have light without the darkness, you know, and you appreciate the light so much better because of the darkness and that, you know, sometimes you do need to be alone and you do need to figure it out on your your own and stand up on your own two feet. But then, you know, for me, it's like once I kind of was like, Okay, I got this and I I kind of got out of my bitter, angry phase and decided to try to find the joy and find the peace. It was like I'm surrounded by it. It's all there. And it always was there. I just didn't want to see it. Gentlemen, any thoughts and wrapping up? I just think that Devin, you know, probably understood this and I think we do a little bit more each time that we go hunting now is the power that uh, the power and the experiences you have from hunting Mm -hmm. and what it does is bring people like this together Mm -hmm. in order to share those amazing experiences. And um, we wouldn't be able to do that without guys like Devin. And I think Margie understands a little more of Devin's love for the outdoors mm-hmm. now too. Yeah. And I you think know, why, why he is a mentor to so many others back home for hunting and outdoors. Right. And, and I, awesome. I truly believe that we will have our friend Devin on every hunt. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh yeah. I believe it. Robbie. Yeah. It's almost, yeah, you can't, you can't paint a story. You just got to, you got to figure the story out as it lays itself out to you. And interestingly enough, her non-knowledge of the poem that Devin wrote about mentoring someone who wanted to learn how to hunt 
who wanted to experience this thing that he loved so much, becoming a central tenant in her journey to learn how to hunt, to engage people that have that confidence, have that ability, that wanted to provide her that opportunity to see and feel the same thing that Devon felt from complete strangers. Yeah. You can't make that up. You want me to read it? Yeah. Let me go grab my phone. While she's grabbing her phone, mm-hmm. I ask everybody two questions on the podcast. Robbie, what is your biggest fear in life? Wow. Not measuring up to people's expectations. And excluding a religious figure or a family member. Who is your hero? Nelson Mandela. Give me the quote from today. Everything's impossible until it gets done. Margie, Mm -hmm. did you hear the questions? I did. It's cheating because now you get to think about it. Yeah, it's (laughs) easy. Margie, what's your biggest fear? Uh, Something happening to my children. Other than that, you know, I mean, even stuff when we're like, eat the heart. I'm like, ah, it's easy. You know what I mean? Like as long as my kids are healthy and thriving, I'm good. Who's your biggest hero? (sighs) Mm. You said not family member or not, um, and not God. Um, I think right now at the stage that I'm in, in my life, I don't know if I would classify it as a hero, but someone that I look to that kind of uh, moves my soul is Ram Das. You know, he was very present. And, you know, I, I think that's something that I've been continually trying to work on is, you know, letting go of anxiety and worry and being present. And if, you know, you're living in the present moment, you're soaking all, all it in and you can appreciate all the beauty around you. You're not trying to think, oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? I need to do this. Or what if this happens? You're just present. You're present. Be here now. Yeah. That's what I have on my computer. It says be here now. Fair enough. Sounds like another t-shirt. Yeah. I'm like, my t-shirt thing is full. <laughs> we have a lot after this. All right. You want me to read it? Yes. Okay. So this was what Devin wrote to um, a friend that he was hunting. He's a hunter mentor for, but I didn't know this existed till after he died. And it's titled Hunter. I am a hunter of all things living. From man to mouse, my harvest knows no bounds. I make my own luck and refuse to fail. I put myself in the position to always have the upper hand, no matter the condition or stakes. No weather can break me. No terrain can hold me. Misery and hardship are my companions, and I welcome them. Indecision is a weakness that is not allowed in my mind. I will go until I can go no more, and then keep going. I am relentless in my pursuit. The lessons I've learned and the tactics I've honed through countless hours have brought me to this single point in time that is quickly approaching. My pulse slows, my focus sharpens, and I am there. From all of us out here in the middle podcast, from my family, which is Margie Grew, the one and only Robbie. Robbie, I don't even know your last name. Kroger, just like the supermarket in the Southeast. Everyone thinks I own the supermarkets, but I wish I did, but I don't. Robbie Kroger, Mason Clemens. 
Thank you guys for spending your day with us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you guys for spending your, your life and your heart with us. And uh, here's to next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cheers. 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 Cheers.